Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We've got a series that we're going to start this morning called... Uh, time to build and the reason being it's time to build that should have got a lot more enthusiasm than that <laughs> and whether we're building a physical building or whether we're building the house of God which is us the temple of God building has some very fundamental things and foundational principles, and that's kind of what we want to talk about today. So I'm going to start in um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, Liz has been in this. I walked into the bedroom the other night, and Liz was reading Deuteronomy, and she was just crying. I was like, wow, the Lord really must have spoke to her, you know. <laughs> really must have really you know, hit her heart. And he did. But I said, well, baby, I said, what's What's wrong? Moses is about to die. <laughs> yeah, Moses dies in Deuteronomy. He sure does. You know, he does. <laughs> but it was like she was reading this novel, you know. And it was. It is it's the life of Moses and the people of Israel as they come out of, uh, come out of the uh, captivity. And, the, and, the, and the, listen to the kids. And the history of... Uh, of God's hand upon them. And uh, so I started reading it and looking through it and as well as other things. But this goes right along with what God is doing uh, now. You can read Jeremiah 33 and see it. You can read just about every book of the Bible and see the same idea of God building His church. How many of you know that's what, that's what He's about? That's what He's up to? He's building His church. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, he says this, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe it. Say, you must be careful. That you may live and multiply. He's given you the reason that you need to be careful so that you can live and multiply. He says that he comes to give us life and give it to us abundantly. He, he wants you to live, and he wants you to live life to the full. So if you want to live... He's given you the antidote to be careful to observe His Word. And then you're going to go to possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. I've got this possession that I want you to have, and, and that's going to come as you hear the Word and as you do it. Verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know... What was in your heart? I think that particular verse is a powerful verse. That the Lord led them the whole way through these 40 years in the wilderness so that they could be humbled, so that they could be tested, so that what was in their heart would manifest. And in the midst of that, whether... 
he says, whether you will keep my word. And so God humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but he shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think that's an interesting thought that Jesus quoted this passage of Scripture when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Moses goes on to remind the people that their garments did not wear out or their feet did not swell those 40 years. He said, you should know in your heart that a man chastens his son, so the Lord also chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his way and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. We need to just think about that for a minute. Think about that whole idea. That God is bringing you into a good land. He's bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valley and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, pomegranates and land, pomegranates, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are, are, are iron so they can build houses and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you have eaten and, and are full, then, shall then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. So how do you forget the Lord? You forget him by not doing what he says in his word. His judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks, when they get really big and they multiply, <coughs> excuse me, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, make sure that when that happens, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great terrible wilderness in which you, in which fiery serpents and scorpions and was a thirsty land and was no water. He brought you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. I test you to do good in the end. There's this place of wilderness oftentimes that we go in that God allows us to get to. And he leads us from that place. That place of wilderness. That place sometimes in a miry pit. And he, and he brings us out. How many of you... Uh, were perfect when God found you. Probably all don't qualify. Most of us were in a miry muck. Most of us had all kinds of issues. We were either in a pit or in a desert. And God found us and he brings us out. And most times when we're brought out by the Lord, we're brought out from those kinds of circumstances. How many have watched Joanna Gaines and HGTVs, what's it called? Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper. How many have seen Fixer Upper? How many men have seen Fixer Upper? 
How many are required to see Fixer Upper? How many have seen Fixer Upper 500 times? A thousand times? How many, like me, have seen it 4,766 times? <laughs> Fixer Upper. We, we watch it. You know what I love about that show? <clears throat> I love that she takes, so oftentimes, she takes wood and different articles that look like they're worn out and aren't good for anything. And then she cr creates this and crafts this magnificent piece of furniture. And then she places it in that house, and everybody goes, Wow. It's one of those wild factors. I can't believe you took that barn and you created that dining room table or whatever. Isn't that the way the Lord is? That's just like the Lord. He takes something that looks worn out and like it's, it doesn't have anything left to give, and then he makes something beautiful out of it. And so th that is a word from the Lord to all of us, is that that's what he does. And so when he builds, nobody is disqualified, and he always, always takes something that's broken down, old material, and makes something uniquely beautiful. He did it all the time in the Bible. He, he always took the smallest people or the least people, and he made it great. He always took the, the Davids, and he made them kings, or the most broken and most worn out. He took Gideon and pared down his army. He... He took Jerusalem, he rebuilt Israel, he took Peter, who had personality issues. Would you agree with me? Peter probably had a few personality issues that he had to get over. He took Peter, and he took Paul, who was very religious and thought he knew it all, and he used these two men to build the church. And so he takes those broken down materials, those ugly things, oftentimes, and builds the church. When we, when we are about to build something, when you're about to build, whether you want to build a chicken house or whether you want to build a big building, don't you know that the foundation is the most important aspect of building? If you don't get the foundation solid, the whole thing is going to fall over. Has anybody ever tried to put something together and really didn't establish the foundation very well and the whole thing? I mean, you can even do that with a bookshelf. If you try to put a screw in the wall and don't catch a stud, that foundation of that shelf is going to, it's not going to last, right? It just pulls down. If you put anything on it, it's just going to fall out of the wall. I've got places in the office back there where we put paper on a shelf that, that was stacked to the wall, and it pulled everything. It just broke the sheetrock right out of the wall. I bet none of you guys have ever done anything like that. The foundation is incredibly important. And what Jesus talks about as we understand that God takes broken down stuff and he, and he really rebuilds it, he builds it on a foundation. And we need to discover what that foundation is and we need to really understand that that, that creativity of God is going to make something incredibly beautiful out of you and me. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to give you two things that are fundamentally important to build your foundation. I'm going to do that real quickly, and then we're going to go on to what I really want to talk about today um, at the end, just real quick. And the reason I'm establishing this, how many of you know that Jesus Christ has done everything we need? There's way too much, in my mind today, there's way too much focused on the devil. It's the devil this, and the devil that, and the devil this, and the devil that. You know, the devil did this, and the devil did that. 
you know, you have people all the time that say, you know, I've got this or I've got this issue or I've got this problem or I have a tendency to do this. And they're talking about sin in their life. You know, they've got these things, these hooks that keep getting them. And, and, and this is what I think the church has done for years, and I think they're failing. What I think they've done for years is they've focused on the hook. You've got to identify the hook, but what you've got to focus on is the physician. If you'll worship the Lord, if you'll worship Jesus, if you'll focus on him, he'll deliver you from the hook. We focus way too much on the hook. We focus, focus too much on the devil's aspect of it. How many of you know the devil's defeated? He has no power over you. He has no authority over you. He is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, defeated. Because you're Jesus. And that's one of the foundational things that Jesus gives us to build our life on. And so as you're building your life in Christ, you've got to first build it on the foundation that Jesus is Messiah. And that's what's going on in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. In the New King James, where I'm reading this, I'm going to read 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, uh, Caesarea, Caesarea is the way they say it in Israel. Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, What do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so the disciples said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, and some say, uh, you know, the prophets. And he said to them, Who do you say I am? Very important question. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When you declare that Jesus is the Christ, that cannot be revealed to you except for the Father in heaven, and if you believe in him. And then he says, And I also say to you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And wherever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a few th fundamental things that you need to see about this. First of all, Peter actually means stone. It doesn't mean rock. There's a difference between those two words in that passage of Scripture. Peter is the stone. So what's the rock? What's the foundational thing that Jesus is going to build the church on? The foundational thing that Jesus is talking about that he's going to build the church on here is that he is Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on that rock, he's going to build the church. And he's going to use the stone, Peter, as well as Paul. But the point I'm trying to make here is it's that foundational thing that you've got to make a decision in your heart that you're going to, you, not only, you not only acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he is, you've got to begin to order your life after him. You've got to trust in him. You've got to believe that his word is true. And you've got to follow him. Okay? Which leads to the second principle, the second foundational thing that we're going to look at. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It's also said by Jesus. But these are two things that he talks about as far as the rock. The first of uh, the foundational thing is that Jesus is Messiah. To begin to build your 
life in Christ, you have to first build your life on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, which means that he's overcome heaven, I mean, overcome hell. And everything that hell has to offer, Jesus overcame it, right? That's what Messiah's job was, correct? Now track you with me on that, all right? Secondly, he says this in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, which is the word of God, which is the same thing that's said in Deuteronomy, make sure you be careful to do these words. You hear the word and you do them. Jesus says the same thing. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. What is the rock? The rock is I am Messiah. I am God. I am God in the flesh. I have been sent to take care of hell. And you need to make sure that you hear these words I say and do them. And that's going to be the foundational thing that's going to bring about the kingdom of heaven in your life. And he says this in verse 25, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. And so there is in this incredible... truth about the idea of building two foundational things the foundational principle that jesus is the messiah and the foundational principle of knowing his word and being careful that you do it i felt like the lord wanted me to bring this today i found it yesterday <laughs> isn't it neat that you find stuff that's valuable this is my first bible I got saved when I was 28 years old, and this is my first one. And the reason that I think that he wanted me to bring it is I wanted to just show it to you. This is pre-preacher. You understand what I'm saying with that? I wore this thing out before I became a preacher. It looks like this because, because I didn't have a clue what the Word of God said, much less know how to do it. And so I wore it out. What God is saying to the church today is that you must, you must, you must know my word and be careful to do it. If you do not, you will not prosper. In Deuteronomy, I mean, Jeremiah, you need to go look at it today when you get home in, in chapter 33. It's similar Deuteronomy chapter 8, what we just read, except it says this. It says, I hid my face, I hid my face from you. And the reason I hid my face from you is because you did so much wicked in my sight. And so I hid my face. But now that you find yourself in the condition that you're in, and now that you're turning yourself and your heart back towards me, now that you're saying that you love me and you want to do my word, I'm going to begin to take you to the place that I promised you to begin with. I mean, that's the, God, that's, that's the, that's, that's the Alex version. That's, what he, that's, the, that's the take on the deal. I used to think that, you know, the heart of the idea of God turning his head to me had a different thought. And I think this is one of the things the Lord showed me this week. I used to think that he was that it was almost out of uh, anger or it was almost out of disgust or something like that, or punishment, you know? 
and, and, and it may have some of that in it, but, but at the same time, I don't think it has that evil intent. How many of you want God's hand off your life? How many of you want God to turn his hand from, from your life, turn his face from your life? Which he says he does. And he says, you know, he says he does it because of the choices that we're making oftentimes, even as believers. Every time you see this in Scripture, he's not talking to unbelievers, he's talking to the church. And it's the actions of the church that cause him to turn his head. Now, this is, I used to think, again, that that was punishment. This is what I put, think the Lord said to me this week. I just can't look on sin. Uh, I just don't want to look at what it's going to do to you. I don't want to watch you make those decisions because it's going to be ugly to watch. I had somebody this week try to show me a picture. Did anybody see where the Olympic person did that backflip and their leg came out of joint? Y'all seen that on? Huh? Have y'all seen that? Is that not nasty? Well, I can't watch it. They wanted me to watch it the other night watching the football game. I was like, no! Oh! Oh, that hurts! To even watch, I don't want to watch that. And the same thing happened in a football game the other day. The guy comes down just straight, and his leg just collapses. And you go, oh, my goodness. I can't watch that. Watch it again. No, I'm not going to watch it again. Now, that's what I think is going on with the Lord. I think he's saying to you and me, I can't watch that. I can't watch that. Because what it's going to cause in your life, I don't want to watch it. So he turns his head. And then he says, when you come to me and you, and you say, I love you, Lord. And you say, I love your word. And you say, I want to hear your word. I want to be a doer of the word. And then he says in Joshua, that I'll make your way prosperous. Then he says, I'm going to pour out blessing. I'm going to pour out abundance. I'm going to pour out fruitfulness. I'm going to take you to the place that I promised to take you to begin with. That's what he says, right? Two different things. Now, to get this down pat, I, I really want you to take this home today. I want you to get it in your head that you want the blessing of God. How many would say, I really want the blessing of God? I would say that. All right. So I don't want God to turn his face. So this side over here, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of like you're a little bit embarrassed. You know, you kind of do like this. I want you to do like this. God, everybody with me. Everybody with me. Everybody in the section, do like this right here. All right. That's, that's, all right. This section over here, y'all ready? Y'all need to get everything out of your lap. All right, you ready? This is the blessing of God. We're going to start right here. We're going to do the wave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, the blessing of God. Because it just comes in wave after wave, doesn't it? So we start right here. You ready? ready? Wave. Start front row. Go. Woo! Now you got to stand up. No, you can't sit down. You got to stand up. Come on. Go. One, two, three. Go. Woo! Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. Bring it this way. Bring it this way. Y'all got. <laughs> Y'all ain't never seen that in church, have you? That's a good picture, isn't it? What you want? You want that? Or you want that? The choice is yours. The choice is yours. How is it yours? Whether you're going to take the word of God and you're going to write it on your heart, you're going to be careful to do everything it says. He said, and so that's the attitude of God. So we got to know that that's the case. So <clears throat> this is what I want to talk about. And I said all that to say 
This is what Jesus did. And there's nothing Satan can do about it unless you fall for his tricks. You got to know that when you go into make a decision to begin to follow Jesus and build your spiritual house, that there's going to be tough things that happen. Things are going to come along. Have you ever built a house? You ever built something? You ever did a flower? You know, anything that you do, you're always going to experience things that you didn't plan for. Something's going to raise its ugly head that you just didn't see coming. That's always going to happen anytime you bring. It's no different in your spiritual life. Satan's going to bring things about trying to get you off track. And that's what I want to talk about. But I wanted to set it up by letting you know that the wave is God's plan. The wave has already been provided for you. He said in John 16 that he's already given you the keys to the kingdom. That means you have the keys. Now, if you have my car keys, that doesn't mean that you're driving my car. That means you have access to my car. You actually have to go out into the parking lot, get in my car, crank it up, mash the gas, and actually get going, right? But you still have the keys. You can still have a set of keys. But that doesn't make you a driver. It makes you a key owner, right? You actually have to begin driving the car. You have the keys. He's given them to you. And there's going to be a hindrance to keep you from being successful. And you've got to know your enemy. And there's a book that's out this, that was written, um, and it's called The Art of War. And a lot of our military and a lot of our, uh, our um, CIA and all those guys had to really read this book to get a hold of what it really meant to to be at war and to be in battle and to have victory in those type of circumstances. And there was a, there's a, uh, a piece in that book that talks about the importance of not only knowing yourself and your weaknesses and your strengths, but also knowing your enemy. If you as an individual in your spiritual house, as you build your house spiritually, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, then you're going to have incredible success in your walk. Matter of fact, the book says, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. No matter what God, no matter what's thrown at you, you're going to be able to be victorious. You're going to be able to have victory in that if you know your enemy and you know yourself. They also go on to say, if you know yourself but you don't know your enemy, for every victory gained, you'll also suffer defeat. If you only know yourself and you don't know your enemy, then you're going to, you know, 50-50. How many want 50-50 spiritual victories? Some of you need 50-50. That would be an improvement. But I'm not looking for 50-50. Is that not true? I mean, let's just talk, you know, let's go back. I think most of the church, not maybe this church, because they were practically perfect in every way in this church, <laughs> us and Mary Poppins. But as a whole, the church lives over here. The church doesn't live over here. And, I, and, I, and God's intent for the church is for it to live over here in victory, right? In, in, in abundance. And so we, we got to know our enemy. Um, if, you don't, if you know yourself but don't know your enemy, 50-50. If you know neither your enemy nor yourself, every battle will be lost. 
If you don't know your own weaknesses or your own strengths and you don't know your enemy, you're in for a rough ride. And so it's important that we understand who the devil is and what he's about. And um, in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, there's a description that, that's given by Jesus of the devil. He says he's talking to a group of religious people, which I think is apropos. You are of your father, the devil, in your will. This is great from the ESV. In your will, listen, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, listen, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's, that's your enemy. Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. we got half the church doesn't even believe he exists. Maybe more. The deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him also. It's there in verse 9, it says, He is the deceiver of the whole world. He's the deceiver of the whole world. So who is he? There's a bunch of verbs that are used to describe who Satan is. And um, let me find what page I'm on. i got so many notes up here. i got to go through it. He, he beguiles. He seduces. He opposes. He resists. He deceives. He shows terror. He hinders. He tempts. He persecutes, he blasphemes. There's more other verbs that use to describe him, but there is no edifying words in Scripture that defy Satan because his goal is to diminish and deface the glory of God, the nature and the character of God. I think it's very interesting that we see in John that he is the father of lies and, and that's his very character. And his job is to, is to defy the nature or diminish to face the glory, the nature and the character of God. And in this pursuit of that goal, Satan is utterly deceitful, divisive, and destructive. And so it is important that we understand his strategies. That is to create, he wants to either create indifference, he wants you to be ignorant, he wants you to be infiltrated with a bunch of, a bunch of untruths, lies, or, or ways of thinking that are contrary to God. Or he wants to intimidate you. He wants to do any of those things, and he uses those words and those verbs to describe him to get it. He's described all the animals that are used uh, to describe him are interesting as well. But the deal is, I want you to hear two things. Again, remember, if you don't know yourself, your weaknesses and your strength, and you don't know your enemy, it's impossible for you to be successful. And so what I want to do is, is I have just taken some definitions of these words that describe Satan, and I want to give them to you. And the reason I want to give them to you is because so oftentimes we get the Word of God into us or we hear something about the Word of God and we like it. It agrees with us. We say, yeah, I like that. But somehow it gets stolen. It, 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 gets, um, it gets taken away from us. You know, and it doesn't, it doesn't last long. 
And, um, and the reason being is he's, he, that's, his, that's, his whole, that's his whole deal. That's what he's trying to do. So let's look at what beguiles means. Beguiles means, anybody know what that means? I didn't know what it meant. I was like, beguiles? What in the world is, is that when I read that scripture? <clears throat> it means to trick or deceive, to attract or to bring interest in, in a deceptive way. He deceives you. He tricks you. You know, when he tempted Jesus, he tempted him with trickery. He, he used what was going to happen to Jesus, and he tried to get Jesus to do it a different way. He offered him the same thing that the Father was offering him. He just tried to get him to do it in a way that the Father hadn't intended. He tricks. He deceives. He seduces Seduce means to attract someone to a belief or into a course of action that is inadvisable or foolhardy. That's what seduce means. He opposes, he disapproves of or attempts to prevent, especially by argument, a certain way of thinking. He opposes, he disapproves or attempts to prevent by arguing with you that the Word of God somehow doesn't agree with you or is for you. In other words, if you hear or see a promise of God and you have something that rises up in you that has disbelief on it, you need to recognize the fact that that is not God, that that is the enemy of your soul, and that is his strategy. If you do not know, listen to me, this is so important. If you do not know your enemy, you will lose the battle. And you cannot believe a thing he says. He is described by Jesus as the father of lies. It is his native tongue. It, it speaks of who his character is. In other words, it's what's inside his heart. It's what comes out. He resists, he withstands, the act, he, he, he withstands an action or, uh, or tries to affect the outcome. He resists. He, any, you, know, you might be trying to do the ways and the will of God. If there's resistance to that, you've got to know that that's the enemy. Or it could be yourself, but you've got to know where that's coming from. That resistance is not God. God wants it to be a clear path, Right? It says God makes your past free. He deceives. He, he calls, uh, deceive uh, means to call someone to believe something that's not true, typically in order to gain some kind of personal advantage. Satan wants to gain an advantage over you. And if you don't understand that, you're going to lose the battle. He, 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 he sows terror. Terror is just great fear. He, he sows fear in the lives of believers. So if you're about to embark on the ways and the things of God and you get fearful, you can understand that that is the enemy, right? He, he tries to hinder. He creates difficulties for someone or something resulting in some type of delay or obstruction. Maybe, maybe you've had a problem receiving the fullness of the promises of God. There's been a delay or, or an obstruction in your life. You need to understand that that hindrance, that delay, 
oftentimes is the enemy trying to hinder what God has promised you. Oftentimes. Because that's his nature. He tempts. I love this definition. He entices or attempts to entice someone to do or acquire something that they find attractive. You see, Satan doesn't tempt you with something you don't find attractive. He tempts you with things you find attractive, but you know to be wrong and not beneficial. He persecutes you. Subject to someone, uh, to persecute is to subject someone to hostility or ill treatment, especially for religious belief. Then he blasphemes. He speaks irreverently of God and, and sacred things. So real quickly, in the next two minutes, I want to give you 11 things that I put on a list that um, I got from a devotional that was given in, with this in mind. That if Satan were to do a conference... <laughs> And he was teaching his demons how to get at you. These would be 11 things that he would be trying to, to get done so that he could get you off track. Okay? Y'all ready? Number one, if you, if you demons could keep these Christians busy with non-essentials. If you could keep them busy with things that really aren't important, that would be really a good tactic. Number two, if you could tempt them to overspend and go in debt, that would be a really good tactic. If you could make them work long hours to maintain empty lifestyles, that would be a good tactic. If you could discourage them from spending family time for when, uh, because when homes... Uh, disintegrate, there's no place of refuge from work. Do I need to say that one again? That's a good one, isn't it? Discourage them from spending family time for when homes disintegrate, there's no refuge from work. Number five, if you could overstimulate their minds with phones and computers and televisions so they can't hear God speaking, that would be a good tactic. If you could fill their coffee tables and nightstands with uh, magazines and newspapers so that there's no time to read the Bible or good novels, maybe, that would be a good tactic. Number seven, if you could flood their mailboxes with sweepstakes, promotions, and get-rich-quick schemes, keeping them chasing material things, that would be a good tactic. If you could put glamorous models, number eight, on TV and magazine covers to keep them focused on outward appearances, that way they'd never be satisfied with themselves or their mates. I want to read that one again. If you would put glamorous models on TV and magazine covers to keep them focused on outward appearances, that way they'll be dissatisfied with themselves and their mates. Number nine, make sure couples are too exhausted for physical intimacy. That way they'll be tempted to go somewhere else. 
Make sure couples are too exhausted for physical intimacy. That way they'd be tempted to go somewhere else. Number 10, involve them in good causes so they won't have time for eternal causes. We're doing a lot of good things. Number 11, make them self-sufficient. Keep them so busy working in their own strength that they will never know the joy of God's power working through them. Isn't it good? Let me read that one again. Make them self-sufficient. Keep them so busy working in their own strength that they will never know the joy of God's power working through them. Yes? Now, God has given us victory. He's given us keys to the kingdom. Let me go over them real quickly with you, and then we're going to dismiss. Remember the foundational things is Jesus is Messiah. He's already won the victory. He came to give you life and give it to the full. He has promises that are for you that are yes and amen. The victory is yours. If God is for me, who can be against me? We are overcomers in Christ. He said on the cross that he is, is finished. The work is done. It's done. And so God's ideal for us is that he take us into the places that he's promised. He said, if you'll just do this foundational thing, if you'll love me and if you'll love my word, are hearing me? If you love me and love my word and be careful to do everything that it says, you will prosper in everything that you do. That is a promise from God. That's a promise from God. And Satan's job is to distract you from getting in the book and to trick you into doing things outside of the way God writes them. And you've got to know yourself, and you've got to know your enemy, and you've got to do what God says do, and that's read the word and know it. Amen? Amen. How many want that blessing? How many want to walk in the fullness of God? I do too, man. And it's a challenge. In our culture, there's, it's a challenge. Isn't it? Everybody challenged like I'm challenged, but we can win, right? We just got to recognize when the enemy's trying to get us off track. And so how is that? And I'm closing. We don't need to do a song. When I know that I haven't been in the Word today, in the morning or in the evening, and there's anything that's distracted me from it, I need to just call it out. I want a church full of Bibles that look like this. That's when we're going to be what God intended for us to be. It's not about, you know, I want, I want a lot of people, but I'm not about a lot of people. What I want to do is build big people that know the Word and do the Word because that's going to affect people out there more than anything else. And so the measuring stick, how do you measure this? You measure it by whether you're in the Word. And then you measure it by 
how it's transforming your life. You just those two things. It's really that easy. It's that hard, but it's that easy. So I, I challenge you today. If you don't know yourself, but you know your enemy, fifty percent. You know your enemy, but don't admit where you are yourself, fifty percent. If you know yourself and your strengths and your weaknesses, and you know your enemy, there's no battle that's not won already. Amen. Thanks for listening to the East Side Church podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.